So we've been in a series uh, called Follow, and we're pausing Follow until after February, but to go along with the idea of Follow to make it more mm, personal, more specific. Today we're going to look at the idea of pursuit, because pursuit is a word that um, when we were starting into one, it just seemed that this was um, a concept that we... I don't know. It felt that God led us to this concept. That's how we defined what we were doing, where we were going. And so much of Christianity, at least when I was growing up, maybe, maybe this is the same way it is for you or was for you, that um, you heard about the transition point, that maybe you, uh, you saw a guy on television who uh, put your hand on the TV set right now if you want to pray with me, or maybe you were at camp and they had you around a fire, and they said, okay, um, hell is bad. Who, who, who wants to go to hell? Oh, nobody. Okay, so then what you want, the only solution that you have is come to Jesus, so let's pray a prayer. Or maybe you've been at even one of our services when we've had that opportunity. Here's a prayer. We pray this prayer, and we, we, uh, we ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins and that he would stay with us and that we would follow him as we go forward. And we, we have a clear identification that um, so much of Christianity happens like a point in time. You know, X marks the spot. There you go. Here was, here was my point. I came to Jesus. I, I had that experience. I had that moment in time. X marks the spot. I remember. Some of you were told, write that date inside your Bible. What was the date that you came to Christ? What was the date that you asked Jesus to be your Savior? What, maybe, maybe you were young. Um, may, maybe you were um, later on, maybe high school age, college age. Maybe it was later on in life in general. But we're, we were identified with this X marks the spot point of Christianity. This is the, the essence, the, the key of it. In um, uh, Romans 6.23, this is in the middle of the letter that Paul writes to the church in Rome, and he's explaining what it takes, what it means to be a Christian, and what that story looks like, and how it's not what you thought that it was. And so in this place, he said, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so just really quickly, the idea was you, you get to this X, you get to this spot when you understand the wages are what you get because you worked for it, right? Everyone likes to get a wage. We wouldn't mind getting a little bit of a bump in our wage. I'd like a little bit more. Thank you very much. But when you work, your wage is what you have earned. It is what you deserve. You worked for it. It took a lot of effort. The wages of sin. So as you commit sin, what you are getting, what you are earning, what you are working really hard at is death. Because sin leads to death. Spiritual death, physical death, eternal death. That is sort of the way it goes. The wages of sin, what you work at, leads to death. But the gift of God, the gift of God, now we see it as the cross, this, this symbol that we use to tell so much of our story, but the gift of God, not what you work really hard at. And this is a problem because for Christians, a lot of us have in our history or just in our default nature, we believe that we must work 
really hard to get God to like us and to get God to like us after we, after we did that. And the only way to do that is to do things that God likes. And if we do enough things that God likes, then God will like us. That'll be okay. But the message that Paul was telling us, it's not wages anymore. It's a gift. The gift of God is eternal life. Not eternal death, but now eternal life. And the only way is through Christ Jesus our Lord. So Christ is a title, not his name. Christ means Messiah, but it is the one, the Savior. That's what Christ means. So sometimes we say Jesus Christ, and we think Christ is his last name. Like maybe it was Mary and Joseph Christ. That's not the way it was. Jesus is his name. His title is Christ. So the only way to get this gift of God is through our Savior, Jesus, who is our Lord. We don't use the term Lord very much either. But Lord now doesn't mean what it used to mean. So the idea was the one in charge, the, the boss, the king, my liege, um, the one that I submit myself to. I am under their rule. I am under their control. I do what they say to live in the kingdom that they are in charge of. That's what the language means there. So we get to this. We started with this. X marks the spot. We've got a position. There we are. Christian. See, Christian is, is a title now that people give themselves. Right? They just say, I'm a Christian. And you can say anything. And that's just what you say. It doesn't make it true. And, and this X marks the spot view of Christianity means at some point somebody had something that they associated with God. So maybe it was their, the prayer that they prayed. Maybe it was they came down an aisle one day when they were invited forward and people prayed with them. Maybe you filled out a form. Maybe you put up your hand. Maybe somebody talked to you. There was a point for you. But that point turns into your position. My position now in relationship to Jesus, in relationship to the cross. Christianity is not a moment in time. And this is what we get. We're seeing a real problem with this, in certainly in North America, the understanding of, of what a Christian is. A Christian doesn't exist as a moment in time. I pray to pair, therefore I'm a Christian. That is why I can do whatever I want now, because I got the gift. I got the free gift of Jesus. X marks a spot. I was there. I'm in. Being a Christian is much more about a movement through time. Our relationship to the cross. Our relationship to Jesus as we go forward. And so the idea that we, we follow here, and we use this language all the time, comes from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. We fix our eyes on Jesus. That's where we go. We put our eyes there. How do we find out where we're going? We fix our eyes on Jesus because he's the pioneer and perfecter. He's the author and finisher. He's the beginning and the end. He's the one that we are going after. So we keep our focus on there. And our challenge that we identify with at a checkpoint service is that our eyes, well, they just don't always stay there, right? We, we get distracted by other things. We, we get misled. And so there was part of the idea that we, we grew into that the idea was we had an X marks the spot, I had that transition time, and now I have my position before God, and that's where I stand, and I can be in that. And we learned 
somehow, not the Romans 6.23, that the gift of God, we learned that the wages of being a Christian was to work hard. We had to do the right things and we have to do the right things all the time. But more important than you doing the right things is making sure that everyone else does the right things, right? And we would tell them, oh, you're not doing the right things. You're not going to have a relationship with Jesus. And many people in our culture say, yeah, that's fine. I don't care. I don't want a relationship with Jesus. I don't want to do what you say. And we, we had the view then that if you did the right things, then you would be in this cross area. But if you do the wrong things, then you're out. In or out. And what, what I'm going to suggest to you is that it's not so much those specific things, it's the way that you face. So when you fix your eyes on Christ, that's where you've got to look. That's where your eyes go. And it is impossible for us to look at Jesus in different directions. We, we have our own approach the way that we are personally, but when we decide that we're all going to look towards Jesus, then Jesus is where we are looking, and that puts us together. So you cannot then turn your back on Jesus, right? That you can't fix your eyes and walk away. So your Christianity looks like you looking at Jesus. And as we do that, that becomes pursuit. We move in that direction. We move ourselves. We change ourselves. We ask God, continue to transform me that I might move in pursuit of you, that I might go after you because it's not a moment in time. It's not even a position that you stand one day. It is a pursuit. It's a direction that you continue to go. And the language, it's um, more image-based. John gave us this in 1 John chapter 1. Um, he was talking with the idea of light. And he said, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, well, then we will have fellowship together, one with another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. But if we walk in the light, it's not an I, right? It's if we. It's very community-based. It is an association that we go together and we walk in the light. Where he is, that is light. And we have to stay in the light. So another place he uses the idea of vine and branches. We stay connected to the vine. We stay, we abide. We, we, we move with him. That's the direction that we're going. As we walk in the light, as he is in the light, what we learn is that we have fellowship. It's not just about an I have fellowship with God. We have fellowship one with another. And what makes that possible, which keeps us safe, is that the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So there's a song that I've always really liked. It's, and I'm going to sing it for you now. Oh, that's so funny. I'm not going to do that. Um, it's by Charlie Peacock, but it was probably made more famous by uh, the boys at DC Talk. It's called In the Light. It just takes this image. I just want to read you uh, like a verse. See if this helps to describe the relationship that you sometimes feel like you're in. I keep trying to find a life on my own, apart from you. <laughs> I'm the king of excuses. 
I've got one for every selfish thing I do. So tell me what's going on inside of me. I despise my own behavior. This only serves to confirm my suspicions that I'm still a man in need of a Savior. I want to be in the light. As you are in the light, I want to shine like the stars in the heavens. Oh Lord, be my light and be my salvation. Because all I want is to be in the light. All I want is to be in the light. I thought that song was so good. And there was a time in my life when I believed that being in the light was this moment in time. Once there, always there, it'll always be fine. And what I have learned is that these next steps that we talk about are essential because they are the pursuit. It's not earning salvation. It's pursuing the Savior. It's going after, going with, um, traveling together. It's not about that moment in time. It's about movement through time. I can't just rest on what has happened in the past. And so for many of us in North America, we have attached the idea that we are Christian by the fact that we had an association at one time to a church. We, we, we don't even really mean anymore that we had an association to Jesus. We just, I, I, had, I, I used to go to church. I, I go to church. And I go to church, I, you know, I have a church. It's my church. It's the church that I say is mine. I don't actually, you know, go there. I don't actually do things with them. But if I was to go to a building that's a church, that's the building that I would go to a church. And the connection to the Savior has been put aside. And that's why those next steps are so incredibly important because we, have, we learned language about being saved, that are you saved or are you not saved? And that, that, that black and white kind of binary choice, it's one way or the other, it leads to a very small, very myopic view of salvation that I would say is not helping us as we move forward in our spiritual development, as we grow and mature in your discipleship, in your study of what it's like to be a Jesus follower, because in Christ, we are saved. There's a moment. We are saved. We are being saved. We are in the midst of it now. We are being saved, but it's more because it goes on to say, and we will be saved. All tenses are active at the same time. Have been, am being, will be. This is the view. And so we stay in the light. We stay connected to the vine. We must continue to take another step in pursuit. And so that's why one thing that you have done one time doesn't finish the relationship to keep it alive, to keep it vibrant, to keep it relevant, to keep it making a difference for you, we continue to take steps. We continue to go into, uh, in a direction. And surrender isn't that one choice on one day at one time when I felt God, I felt emotion, I felt the swell of the Spirit. I, I saw people around me and I said, I'm going to commit my life. It's not that that isn't 
a, a significant point. It's just that it's not the end, that salvation is uh, the uh, sacrifice, uh, giving yourself that um, surrender to God. Lord, I need you. Oh, how I need you is a daily choice that we daily connect. We daily follow. We daily surrender. We daily give up our right and we surrender our rights to him. And that's why at Into One, we have used this saying, this um, phrasing to describe what we're doing, uh, a mission statement, a statement of what we are about. We call it the road trip, and we refer to it frequently. When we say, on this road trip, we're, we're going. And a road trip is about going, and it's about going together on this road trip in earnest pursuit of Christ. Christ is what we are in pursuit of. Not just trying to go somewhere and do something. We do something so that we might pursue Christ. We are being brought together. This is a statement of what is happening and not just wishful thinking. We are being brought together into one. That's our name means this relationship between us and between Jesus. We have hope and we have freedom in the love of Jesus. And that's why we come back to this over and over again. To be in pursuit, to be with Jesus requires us to go. And we always talk about us. We go together. It is too hard to go by ourselves. And we take the idea, this phrasing came from John chapter 17. It's in the midst of what we call the high priestly prayer. Jesus is praying. It's him and God, and he's pouring out his heart for what he sees around him, for the mission that he was given, and how it's moving. So he's praying to God the Father when he says, I and them, and you and me, that they may be perfected into one. That the world may know, we use that phrasing a lot too, because that's kind of what we're doing. As we are in earnest pursuit, it is part of our desire that the world would know that God sent Jesus and that God loves us even as God the Father loved Jesus when he came. So the, that's the message that we wanted, that God loves you, Jesus died for you. We just want you to know that, that the world may know. And that has focused us and centered us on this mission, but it speaks of movement. It speaks of together movement that we go. We can't just be still where we are or where we have been. And that we learn that as we go together, we experience unity. Unity doesn't become so much of a choice. I think we should all agree. It becomes an experience because together our eyes are fixed on Christ. We go eyes up. And as we go eyes up, we turn our eyes towards Jesus. And as we turn our eyes together towards Jesus, it unifies us in our direction and our purpose where we're trying to go. Um, we, we are pointed at the same person, not the same position, not the same doctrine, not the same words, but the same person. We focus our hearts and our minds on Jesus. And regardless of our starting point, so whether, whether or not you've been a Christian for 45 years or you've been a, a Christian for 45 minutes, we can be drawn together into unity by having our eyes on the same person. And we, we don't look to rank. 
We don't look to say, I'm better, you're better. We look to say, together we go. Together is how we move forward. Regardless of that starting point, it is the person that we focus on. And um, to, to help give you that focus again of what does that look like, I wanted to say, hey, if you've got your phone or your Bible, bring it out again now. And you can do this at home. You, you might have your uh, Bible with you there. Uh, if you have version, you can open that up. If you just have a web browser, you can go to Bible Gateway or, or, or a site like that. Look up Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to ask that we would read this together. I don't mean you have to read out loud, but just so you can follow along. Colossians chapter 3. And if you're using one of the digital ones, you don't have to know the order. You just ask for Colossians chapter 3. Colossians is uh, a letter that was written to people who live in the city of Colossae. And the people who live in Colossae are called Colossians. So that's why they got uh, it named after them. Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. And I want to read a chunk together so we can see this, okay? I'm going to use the NIV version, so if you have the ability to select, uh, you can choose that or choose the, the version that you prefer, but just realize that's why the, the words might not line up perfectly if you're reading a different translation. So, Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Since then, because of this, he, from, from what he was writing before, since then, you have been raised with Christ. That means since you had this point, you, you faced spiritual death and you've come to spiritual life. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Set your eyes on Jesus is really what he's saying. Focus on the spiritual. Focus on the heavenly. Focus on the things above. That, because that's where Christ is seated. At the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. In this season... It's been true our whole lives, but in this season, this is an incredibly important part. Set your eyes, set your hearts on things above, not on earthly things. And right now, we are very concerned with earthly things. There are many earthly things that we are very concerned about. This doesn't say don't care about them. It's to set your hearts on Christ first. Jesus first, everything else after. Jesus first is the vision that we have so that everything else falls into alignment under Jesus first. So that's what we're getting at. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also uh, appear with him in glory. So put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And idolatry is any time you put your hope in that thing. That's the thing that you think of first. That's the answer. That's the thing you're concerned about first. That is idolatry. That's why we say Jesus first, everything else after, so that we put our heart and our mind in the right order. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways. You used to do that. That's what it used to be for you in the life that you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. And that would be on your lips or at your keyboard. How you choose to respond, what you choose to read. Understand that algorithms are a mirror for you. They show you what 
you have chosen. So when you see what, what, what keeps coming up in my feed, it keeps coming up because you keep going there. All the topics in the world exist. What shows up in your feed is a representation of what you follow, of what you are interested in, of what you want. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all in all. Christ is all and is in all. The things that separate us, the lines that seem to be so important, our race, our class, our religion, all these things that we say, these are dividing lines, not with me or with me. All of those things don't exist when we are in Christ. When we are the we and we have our eyes first on Jesus and we go together, that puts us into unity and these other things no longer divide us. So when you feel like you are being divided by these things, understand that our eyes have not together gone towards Jesus. We are putting our eyes in another place first and that is our dominant way of thinking. This is so important in this culture right now because of the way that we are supposed to live as a light to the people around us and we have been found to be people who are bringing about darkness. Because our eyes have said, well, Jesus, sure, but not right now. This is the thing that gets me most. This is the part that excites me the most. And whether you're for this or against that, it still has become the thing that is preeminent. It's on your mind first. It's on your mind most. I'm calling you back to eyes on Christ. These things that have divided us, they should not be dividing us. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves, be wrapped up, be visibly noticeable. This is what you appear like to other people. Be, uh, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you if, if any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace, called to it, as it's a direction you were given and called to it as in this is the gift that is being given for you. And be thankful. Practice thankfulness. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. We remember, we reevaluate, we refocus.
Put your eyes on Christ first. The author, the finisher of our faith. Your Christianity is not simply a moment in time. It wasn't the date that you decided that you would care about Jesus, that you would submit to him. It is an ongoing pursuit. We follow that pursuit with next steps. So I'd challenge you then, what is a next step for you? Because everybody has them. Some of them are big. Some of them are small. The point is that you take a next step. You take another step in pursuit of Jesus. This week, what step can you take? And honestly, one of the steps that we can take together is communion. This Communion is a together time when we together submit ourselves once again to the Lordship of Christ. Once we decide that my eyes are upon Jesus and I will view Him first and everything else after, everything else in light of who my Savior is and what He has called me to, I will deal with every other life scenario based on that first. Jesus first. The life that we just read about. How do I put that into play in all of the different places? And I am not so naive as to believe that it won't be difficult. It is very difficult, especially when we have got ingrained habits and ingrained patterns that move us to put our eyes on other things first. What can you do? It's not about what, what, what I would like to see you do. It's about how you would pursue Jesus. What do you think that he's asking you to do now? What change do you need to make? What modification could you put in? What action could you take? What words could you speak? What could you do that would be for you a physical representation of you taking a next step and moving in his direction to keep yourself in the light, to keep yourself as the vine attached, the branch attached to the vine? I'd like us to read together um, from 1 Corinthians chapter um, 11. We're going to move into communion, and this is perhaps the most familiar passage for communion. We'll put this one up on the screen so you can read that here if you're at home. You probably won't be able to see it. I didn't make it for uh, home viewing. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11, starting at 23. If you've got your Bible out anyways, or version or Bible Gateway, you can uh, follow along there. This, again, is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. Corinth was another city, very multicultural city, very wealthy, doing incredible things with trade, um, very multi-ethnic. They were very open to many cultures, tremendously religious city. They would have temples uh, of all kinds of different gods. Every god was there, and, and, and they, they had a real struggle with putting their minds and their eyes first on Jesus. They had all kinds of of tensions and turmoils. They weren't experiencing the unity of Christ because they had other things that kept getting in their way. So Paul trying to help them. This is one of the practices that you as a body would, would do together to draw yourselves in unity together with Christ. Focus on this. And so read this with me. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. So just stop there for a second. This is, Paul is describing his process. I gave you 
what I was given. So when I met with Peter, and when I met with Andrew, when I met with Matthew, and when I met with John, when I hung out with all those guys, they told me everything that was going on. They gave me this whole story, the same story that I gave you, the same message about Jesus and what Jesus had done. So I'm, I'm just going to share that with you. This is what happened. This is what was actually going on, all right? Jesus, we, we met with him, and, and, and we knew later that he was betrayed, but when we were having the dinner with him, we didn't know he was going to be betrayed. But on that night, the Lord Jesus, he that he was going to be betrayed, he took bread. And if you've got your, your elements at home, you can pull them out. And here we've got our little packets. Um, this participation in communion, this, this doesn't make you a Christian. This, this is not magic in any way. And go back a couple of weeks and we did a... a um, a series about landmarks, and we talked about communion and what we believe. We believe this as symbols that we choose to use to bring about physical truth. But we don't believe that there's any magic in this. And so we'd say, if it is your desire, then participate in communion. If you don't desire to have a relationship with Jesus, then, you know, don't. You don't need to. Don't fake it. There's no point in lying about it. There's no point in saying something that's not true. But for those of us who desire to put our eyes up on Christ, to put our, our eyes back there and focus once again, we enact the story of that night. And so that's what we do now. So we, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, he ripped it, he tore the bread apart. And then he said something that blew their minds. He said, this is my body, rip, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take this into you. If it is your desire that you would once again put your eyes on Jesus, that you would once again submit your life to him, that you would put your feet in the direction of following after him, that you would go in earnest pursuit, if that's what you would like. Well, then do this in remembrance of me. And so they took the bread. They followed their Lord, not really knowing what they were doing. And they go, yeah, um, okay. And, and we, we've had the gift of history, a little bit more time to look back and say, this symbol is us saying, the life that you described, like we just read in Colossians 3, that's what I want. That's the direction I want to go. No one is making you. No one is trying to force you to do it. No one is trying to get you to say, these are things that you have to do because I said you have to do them. Everything that we read there is a decision that we are making in conscious choice to follow and to submit, to put our eyes up on Christ, to put our feet in the direction of him and to go in earnest pursuit. If that's not your desire, don't do this. But if it is, then this symbol can mean something to you. It can allow you to live in that moment when you say, yes, Jesus, I will follow you again. And I know it's going to be tricky and I know it's going to be hard, but that's what I want to do. That's what you want to do. Then take it. Kind Father, we thank you for the gift 
you gave us in Jesus, his free gift of himself on our behalf. Thank you. I know that I get distracted. I know my friends get distracted as well, but it is our desire to follow after you. That's why we take this symbol of you and we put that into us. I want you to be part of me. I want there to be more of you, less of me. That's where I want to go. Thank you for making the option available. Thank you for being my Savior. Thank you for saving me now. Thank you for saving me in the future as well as I continue in earnest pursuit of you. Thank you, Jesus. And then he goes on in verse 25. He says, In the same way, after supper he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. No longer the old covenant. And for the folks in that room that night, they go, it's the only covenant we know. The covenant between God and Moses. That's the only one that we know. That You're saying that that's old? And this one is new? This idea that we can receive from you a gift? Not something that we just worked out really hard at? We can receive this gift. The new covenant, if that's what you're going to choose to live in, and this is the cup that symbolizes that, and we again say, that's the, that's the covenant that I want to live under. Covenant directly to God himself. Will we submit ourselves to his rule, to his guidance, and we say, that's where I'm going. If that's you, take the cup. God, we thank you for your gift. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. That's the direction I want to go. I want to go in earnest pursuit of you. I want to follow after you, and I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to continue to change and transform me, submit me um, to your will. Craft me into your image. Let me be a light that shines in a dark world. Let me be kindness in the face of anger. Let me be compassion in the face of judgment. Let me be a voice that speaks like Jesus did. Use me, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. For whenever you eat the bread, drink this cup, You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You remind each other. You look at each other and you say, together, I'm reminding you, this is the story of Jesus. That's the story that we have committed ourselves to. It is him that our eyes are on first. 27, so that, so then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That's why we say, if it's not what you want, don't pretend. 28, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. It's a commitment that we make. Thanks for sharing that time together. Thanks for being part of that at Church Online. As we go together, We experience the unity 
that comes as a gift from God. And I've been able to experience that for years at Into One, and I am so incredibly thankful for that. And that means I'm also thankful for you. Together we go. Together we experience this, and it has been a delight and a pleasure to walk this far with you. I know that you're tired in so many ways. But we look to Jesus as our hope and as our strength that we might continue on and hopefully as we continue to see him first, the things that are in front of us become less significant and we're able to see them as part of a path, part of our mission and not just obstructions to our regular life. Keep walking well. Go in earnest pursuit of him. Thanks.